Hey everyone, this is Garrett Dunn, senior resident here at Texas A&M Family Medicine Residency, co-host for today's podcast on clinical pearls. Today we're going to be talking about the November 2020 update from the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, the checklist on pregnancy management in persons with HIV. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. All right, welcome everybody to this episode. And as you heard, I am joined by Dr. Garrett Dunn, who we have a lot of fun with on call, right? Oh yeah, all the time. And you know, one of the things that I thought about because we're obviously in clinic right now and we just saw a patient with HIV who's under good control, thankfully. But you know, this issue of HIV isn't for, you know, those patients or those doctors, right, Dr. Dunn? I mean, they're out there. And this is why this matters because let's say you're taking your family medicine board or your nurse practitioner board or your OBGYN board and you get asked, how do you deal with your, uh, what do you do with your HIV positive patients. Here's what not to say. So Dr. Dunn, how would you treat your, let's say you're taking your boards, how would you treat your HIV pregnant patients? Should you just refer all of them? You see, that, that, <laughs> referral is such a great answer, right? Because yes, you want to refer those because you want to refer them to ID. You want to refer them to maternal fetal medicine. Those are all right answers, but it doesn't take away your responsibility to know the information because what happens when that HIV positive patient, what? just rolls into your obstetric department random day on L&D. Boom, you're on call. She comes in. I'm here. By the way, I've got HIV. So you have to know this. And to be honest, I was really against this whole issue of checklists when they first came out because, I mean, who are they, right? I mean, we're professionals. We don't need checklists. But the truth is they work. So Dr. Dunn, tell me about a little bit of your experience with this checklist. I mean, do they work? And where else do we use these? I think we use these a lot of times in our management of preeclampsia, uh, other maternal conditions where we're just making sure that we're providing the best care we can for our patients regardless of what underlying disease that they have. You know, and it's all about standardization. So if you're in California, if you're in Florida, if you are shoot, if you're in Canada or Europe, these are a way to provide uniform care so that patients, as Dr. Dunn said, uh, really get the best outcome. All right, you all ready? So that's just a quick intro. And what we're going to cover again is the November 2020 checklist for HIV. So there's some good stuff in here because actually I forgot about a certain medication, guys. Listen to this, that we use all the time for postpartum hemorrhage. But if they're HIV positive on a certain HIV medication and you give this medicine for postpartum hemorrhage, you can make them pretty sick. So we're going to get into this. By the way, that's methogen. But we're going to get into that in just a minute because protease inhibitors and methogen do not mix. So having said that, Dr. Dunn, I want you to walk us through the first thing for the first prenatal visit for antepartum care, according to the checklist. So somebody comes in first trimester, HIV positive. What are some things that we can do to make sure that they stay healthy? Just a quick disclaimer before we get this information out, and that's that we literally are in clinic. Now, no patients are getting behind. Remember, we always take care of our patient duties first, but I just want to let you know that in case somebody knocks on our door or to, well, let you know that the audio may be a little bit off at times because this is the value of doing these kind of podcasts impromptu is that we get motivated, we get inspired, we have an idea, and we knock it out. All right, so I think first we're going to talk about the very important preconception visit. I think we wish all of our patients would come to see us at this time so that we can really discuss and help prepare them for the safest and uh, most healthy pregnancy that they can have. So first from SMFM, they talk about ways to have a safe pregnancy. Good. Uh, and this starts with um, checking the HIV and viral load. 
in your patient uh, with HIV and making sure that their CD4 count is high and in collaboration with your infectious disease doctor. You also want to make sure that they're up to date on all appropriate immunizations and then really talking to their partner uh, and making sure that they have appropriate prep uh, to protect their partner and their, their family while they're there too. Yeah, and that's great. And there's a key word here that uh, Dr. Dunn mentioned, and he said, you know, make sure they're on the appropriate therapy. Now, I learned it as HART, right? Highly active uh, antiretroviral therapy, H-A-R-T. The truth is they are all HART now. They're all highly active antiretroviral therapy. So what is the new acronym now? What what are we talking about? We don't really call it H-A-R-T. What's the new term, Dr. Dunn? Now we call it CART, C-A-R-T. That's combined antiretroviral therapy. Yeah, the, the days of single therapy are gone. We know that this combination care actually works best. And here what I think is totally wild, Dr. Dunn. Just, it's, it's so crazy how far we've come. Before, everybody got just AZT and take your 3TC and that was it. Mm-hmm. But now we can actually tailor the medication to make sure that it actually is going to work for the patient. So there's some tests that we can do. And you guys, look how fast, if you're not ID, and I'm not ID, so I didn't know this. So, I mean, I learned something from this, but you can actually do a test to see which medication actually is best for the patient, basically genotyping the virus. Tell us a little bit about these two lab tests that we can get. Yeah, we can order a G6PD and an HLA-B5701. And these can really help guide us in therapy and make sure that we're using antiretrovirals that are appropriate for the patient and they respond the best too. My goodness. So now we're tailoring uh, CART therapy for our HIV patients. Rather than just giving them CART blanc, this is what I order, really we should be looking for the best medication to give. All right, great. So that's all preconception. But let's get back to this issue on, on prenatal care and the first trimester. So now your patient shows up to their first prenatal visit. And I think first thing that we do in all of our prenatal visits is yeah. we get an, an HIV uh, now this patient comes in with HIV, so you want to know their viral load and you want to know their CD4 count because that really helps guide your okay. management throughout all of pregnancy. And then you have that patient that is positive HIV. Uh, you want to make sure that they're on their CART, their combined antiretroviral therapy. Um, this can be in collaboration with your infectious disease doctors. I know that here where we practice, they're very accessible to us. We yeah. give them a phone call. And the big thing is you don't want to wait for those genotypings that we talked about before you start treatment. You really want to get them on treatment as quick as possible. Okay. You do want to check those HLA-B5701 and the G6PD to make sure that you're on the appropriate therapy, but don't let that hinder you from starting them. Okay, so now here's a clinical pearl. It's like, what the heck are you supposed to do? <laughs> what do you do with those? Because that's not something I'm, I'm, I'm used to, right? So what do you do for that? Let's say the HLA-B5701 test comes out positive, so they have this mutation. What is that a red flag for? So again, here's your clinical pearls, right? If either of these two tests are positive, here's what not to use. Okay, here you go, Dr. Dunn. Yeah, you should not use Abracavir. And FYI, that's been on board exam questions. Oh, there you go. Good, good. So next, what about that G6PD? Why are we checking that? With that, you want to not use uh, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole or Bactrim Mm -hmm. in PCP prophylaxis. Okay, so one is really for an initial treatment option, Uh, so for HLA-B5701, but the glucose 6-phosphate deficiency, that's really just for prophylaxis with Bactrim. Is that fair? That's true. All right, good. All right, so now what else we got? So we've done our HIV viral load, we've done our CD4, we've done our little genotypes and our mutations, so that's good. Uh, What else can you tell us before we get into the second trimester? Yeah, so now it really comes down to that CD4 count. 
right? You want to know, are they less than 200 on their CD4 count, which is when you really need to start thinking about those opportunistic infections and getting on the appropriate prophylaxis for those. And that's going to be in conjunction with your infectious disease doctor. You also need to make sure that they're up to date on all their appropriate vaccines per CDC guidance. So now we're moving into our first and second trimesters after you've established that at their first visit. So then you need to make sure that you're checking their CD4 counts about every three months. And for patients with an undetectable viral load or CD4 counts greater than 200, you could consider moving that to every six months. If their viral load is detectable, then you need to be checking that every month until it is undetectable. And then every one to three months thereafter. You also need to be working with your infectious disease specialist to make sure on the appropriate therapy. And then really at every visit, you should be making sure that they're adhering to their medication and not having any side effects and addressing any of those or any other barriers to taking their medications. Specifically, if a patient is on a protease inhibitor, you also may want to consider early glucose screening because that is going to affect your glucose tolerance. All right, so there's a bunch of clinical pearls in all of this, but this issue on protease inhibitors, and protease inhibitors are fantastic for HIV, but we haven't even gotten to to peripartum or postpartum care, that's going to be an issue with bleeding. But here's another clinical pearl. Remember, protease inhibitors do early testing for glucose screening because it can impact glucose tolerance. All right, now let's get into our third trimester. All right, so now we are moving, Dr. Dunn, to the third trimester. We're getting close. She's almost there. Now we got to start thinking about delivery mode and issues for the baby. So walk us through this issue for third trimester. So now that we're here in the third trimester, you need a repeat screening for syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia at 28 to 34 weeks, uh, like you consider with many of your OB patients. And then really importantly, you need to reassess the viral load at 34 to 36 weeks to help you plan for delivery. Just like before, when we talked about preconception counseling and how important that is, postpartum planning is also equally important. Uh, so we need to think about what type of therapy they're going to be on post-delivery, what forms of contraception they're going to use, and again, that prep that they may need for their partner. And then we need to talk about the care for the infant and coordinate with your pediatrician or family doctor who's going to be taking care of them. And then really now this moves into what's our delivery plan. Do we need to include zeduvidine? Uh, and will that be used and will that affect the route of delivery? And that really comes down to the viral load. The most important thing is if their viral load is greater than 1,000 at 37 to 38 weeks, you really should think about C-section delivery at 38 weeks. Boom, another clinical pearl. So there it is. Now remember, this issue on C-section, this is not an elective issue, okay? This is medically indicated. So if that viral load is greater than 1,000, just like Dr. Dunn said, then you can schedule your C-section. Remember, they're at risk to do vertical transmission. That's a high viral load. You want to beat them to labor. That's why, remember, if you're asked on your oral boards, the answer is 38 weeks. If that viral load is greater than 1,000, you don't have to wait for 39. The answer by SMFM and ACOG is that you can be out at 38 weeks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So now, intrapartum management. So with these patients, you need to be treating with the zeduvidine for at least three hours prior to delivery if their viral load is greater than 1,000, just like we were talking about. And then you can consider treatment if their viral load is less than 1,000. 
Right now, that's an important place for us to stop and kind of make this issue a lot more clear because it can get kind of confusing. It is not wrong to offer all HIV positive patients AZT intrapartum and actually some, some favor that. But most of the data shows benefit for intrapartum IV AZT when the viral load is greater than a thousand. Remember, this of course is your pre-op C-section patients and AZT should be in use greater than three hours before delivery. Remember, it's two milligrams per kilo as a load and then one milligram per kilo per hour thereafter. But that's why SMFM says that you can consider it if the viral load is less than a thousand. Nothing wrong with that. But most of the benefit is with that high viral load greater than 1,000. With these patients, you do want to avoid scalp electrodes or internal fetal monitors, really trying to decrease that risk of transmission between mom and baby. You need to ensure that you have the appropriate staff or uh, PPE for all of your staff, and then continuing their treatment. So now immediately after delivery, you really want to work with your pediatrician or whoever's taking care of the infant in the nursery to establish a pathway for treatment for them within 12 hours of delivery. That's very important. And then also, like we kind of alluded to earlier on, you want to avoid the use of methergen or other ergotamines when the patient's also on a proteus inhibitor to avoid exaggeration of vasoconstriction responses. And then of course, you want to make sure they're continuing their antiviral therapy. Well, Dr. Dunn, we have walked through the November 2020 SMFM checklist for HIV care in pregnancy. And remember, it really starts preconception. I mean, it's fine to start medications during pregnancy, but you really want to tune those patients up before they conceive. But of course, they got to come in for that. That's why there's all this awareness and this, this push for education on preconception counseling. So now that we're wrapping this up, give us a few take-homes, some quick reminders, and then we'll bring this to a close. All right, so here's some big take-home points for us in the management of HIV during pregnancy. First, preconception counseling is very important. Making sure you're setting up your patient for a safe pregnancy. Then, making sure that they're on combined antiviral therapy. Then, you need to make sure they're controlling their CD4 count and their HIV viral loads. Making sure that you're testing for the HLA-B and the G6PD deficiency to make sure you're on the appropriate therapy for them. Moving into pregnancy, knowing that protease inhibitors are great drugs, but that there are some limitations and things you need to know about that early glucose tolerance test, and then postpartum, making sure to avoid methogen that could cause extreme vasoconstriction. Then moving into delivery, that viral load is the key. Less than 1,000 can consider a vaginal delivery and consideration of AZT during delivery. Greater than 1,000, you really need a plan for that C-section at 38 weeks. So that wraps up our clinical pearls today. Thanks, Dr. Chopper, for letting me be a part of it today, and please join us next time on Clinical Pearls.